Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It is midday Tuesday, February the 11th here on the Built by Bama online podcast. Time once again for T. Watts and TR. I'm Travis Ryer. He's Tim Watts. Together, we've been a part of BamaOnline.com for at least right in the neighborhood of 20 years. Tim's got a few more on me, I think, than, uh, uh, than, than I was. I've been around since 2003, Tim, a little bit longer than that. But uh, we typically like to get together here on T. Watts and TR periodically and talk some Alabama sports, even get beyond the world of sports a little bit, have some fun with things. And that's what we plan on doing once again today. Although, Tim, here in Tuscaloosa, I can report that I'm actually doing this podcast today from a kayak because oh this goodness. flooding that we've had in West Central Alabama, and I'm guessing for you over in the Birmingham area as well, uh, unbelievable, man, what, what this uh, state is enduring right now. Yeah, it's so, I mean, it is raining so hard. We've been fine, but the roads here, they can flood pretty easy, although this is a really heavy rain. I mean, the parking lot at school when, when my wife went to pick up the youngest two was flooded, and uh, they're out of school. They're on the delay this morning. They're only delayed till like 10 o'clock. They're delayed two, two and a half hours to let the floods go down because of the, and I agree with it, the school buses, you know, they have to pick up a lot of people and they have to hit a lot of areas where uh, it's pretty deep. So yeah, it's been a mess. I just can't understand how this, we go from one extreme weather to the other. It seems like it, no doubt. I guess it's going to cool down some, but here in Tuscaloosa, they started out on Monday afternoon, Monday evening with the deferred start to city schools and county schools here in Tuscaloosa. We're going to push it back two hours on Tuesday. And then about nine o'clock on Monday night, we get the old text message from the city schools. School in Tuscaloosa, uh, on the city basis anyway, Northridge, Central, um, you know, those schools, Bryant, uh, has been canceled altogether. So I got the youngest home all day. You know, that shriek, that shriek that you hear from upstairs, Tim, when that notice comes down that school has been canceled for weather, uh, that's uh, that's how I was alerted to it on Monday night. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, Kids love. They get it before we do, I think. For uh, for me, <laughs> for me, I'll be honest. I'm such a rhythm guy. I have such a schedule, especially in the early morning. I wake up, I do, I hit the same routine every morning. So with the kids here this morning, it's thrown out of whack. They might as well just stay all day at this point because now I'm back to where I'm supposed to be uh, at this stage. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. The weather just, the rain, it was so hard yesterday and so long yesterday. I was sitting outside on the porch trying to work for a while. It was just so hard. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's been consistent. And I think what we've experienced during the early portion of Tuesday was just sort of a break in the action. I mean, there's actually supposed to be more to come. So in all seriousness, we hope if you're out there and you're in our areas or uh, just in the region in general, because it's so all encompassing, it seems like in the Southeast, 
Uh, we hope you're getting through this in, in good enough shape. Uh, Tim, one thing Alabama was able to do was get through the second national signing day in good enough shape, even with some of the news that it didn't perhaps like as much on the recruiting trail. Still, as we outlined going into it, a very, very, very good 2020 recruiting class. Uh, and now we shift our focus. I think a lot of us are actually with the two signing periods, especially Tim, man, when you get through that second one, it makes you appreciate what's coming up even more. You're even more excited, right? To talk about the, 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 uh, the upcoming spring drills in March and April, just nice to be able to sort of shift subjects. We love covering recruiting. Don't get me wrong. We love the topic of recruiting, obviously, and what we've done for all these years. Uh, but it is a little bit of a breath of fresh air, right? Once you get signing, uh, the second signing period over and, and start to look ahead and kind of provide a state of the program look at, at Alabama football. It is, and especially, you know, because I spend so much time on the seniors each year, especially with the way Alabama recruits, because they'll, they'll, they'll turn over stones all the way through the, you know, the, the end of the, you know, until the uh, signing period's done, although it technically never ends. But they will they will be uh, very, very thorough. So once that class is behind us, and I, I'll be honest, I love this class. I've said it a I've said it numerous times, and I'll always say it. I love watching the film of this class. I love the defensive guys. I love the players in it. But, yeah, I'm, I enjoy flipping it over and looking at these guys. I know Alabama took a break after Wednesday, the signing period. The staff got some time off. Uh, I think they came back on Monday, probably avoided all this bad weather if they got out of Tuscaloosa. Yeah. So I think they do the same thing. I think they, I think they take a big breath, focus on the few, few things left, trying to help kids get eligible and figuring that stuff out. But now the 20 – not that it was slow before, but the 2020 class is going to get super real. Uh, it was that, you know, the weekend before they had the huge junior day. So they already were laying the groundwork. I know on National Signing Day Wednesday, Nick Saban was calling juniors. Um, and I'm sure most of the staff was calling juniors that day as well. So, yeah, they'll be getting these kids ready, getting them into camp, about, you know, getting second looks at junior film, identifying new guys that will start to come up as kids, start to put their huddle up. And uh, you know, get those guys into camp where the where it's so uh, you know so important to, for their camp performance to get that offer. So with that, we do look ahead, and we'll start to do this, and we won't maybe go position by position on this edition of T Watts and TR because we do have time, and we'll sort of work our way up to the start of spring drills in about a month's time from now. Uh, but let's go ahead and start previewing some position battles now that we have pretty much the personnel in place that we know is going to be here in Tuscaloosa uh, for spring practice. And we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. And, and, and obviously we got to talk quarterback and we've already done that uh, on multiple occasions, but you know, Bryce young, by all accounts, uh, a nice transition into UA as an early enrollee to join that mix, to go along with Mac Jones uh, Talia Tonga-Vailoa, there's seemingly the, this this growing sentiment that perhaps based on where Tua ends up uh, in the NFL draft, which city he ends up in, it could be that Talia Tonga-Vailoa in time uh, ends up in that same sort of area, uh, perhaps as a transfer. But we got to let this thing play out, don't we? I mean, can, can, can we get into spring practice and see how this competition actually starts to take shape before we start making some decisions for the summer and beyond? 
I would think so. I mean, if Talia leaves before spring, I would imagine that he just – it's a situation where maybe he saw the writing on the wall and there was no need to wait. Uh, I can't speak to how he feels on that right now. Um, I think competing, you know, if it was me, I'd want to compete. I mean, that's a, the kid's pretty good. He's not a bad football player. Of course, he'll have a chance to go against Bryce Young. And, and not only that, to compete, but you see where you stand. You're not going to have to worry about what the coach is saying. I mean, you're going to – you're going to be able to see where you you stand as Bryce Young or Mac Jones. You're going to be looking at those guys, you know, as they say in the quarterback room. You're going to be able to see the film. You're going to be able to see them live and see if you know see if you fit in well. Uh, me per- personally, I'm excited regardless. I'm really excited to see this this uh, this competition. I, you know, I've said you know the A day is going to be a lot of fun and that that's going to be the highlight for me. I think is is seeing Mac Jones. Again. Again, who's got those couple games experience and certainly has shown some talent. Uh, then you got Bryce Young, who we've seen on film. You know, he's like you know a little bit of a living legend with everything he's done and uh, during his senior year. Or so, and again, Talia, he's sort of you know you get in that mode where you're when you're that true freshman and you're redshirting, nobody really talks about you. So I think there's a little bit of that with Talia. He's not really you know you, there's not a lot of people considering him for this battle, but I think he'll be in there. I think he'll definitely can compete. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, no doubt about it, and sort of reminiscent of a couple of years ago when Tua came in here as an early enrollee, and you had Jalen Hurts coming off an SEC Offensive Player of the Year campaign uh, in 2016, but still, and you mentioned A-Day, you walked away from that 2016 A-Day, 2017 A-Day, excuse me, thinking, wow, this guy is something else in regards to Tua Tonga Vailoa. And you, you, you understood perhaps at some point in that 2017 season, uh, there was a likelihood that Tua's services would be called upon. Little did we know uh, that that request would come in the second half of a national championship game in which he would lead the Crimson Tide back from a 13 to nothing deficit to an overtime win of the Georgia Bulldogs. Now on that offensive line, Four returning starters for Alabama, Tim. Uh, the one you're losing, a big one, and Jedrick Wills from the right tackle spot. Uh, connecting dots, it would seem as if Evan Neal in his second year in the program would go from the left guard position, kick out to right tackle. You followed this guy extensively throughout his recruitment. Number one offensive tackle, I believe, one of the top offensive tackles for the class of 2019. Uh, Is that sort of how you could envision this going, Evan Neal kicking out the right tackle and then leaving a competition there at at guard, one would think Emil Echior could be in that mix and some some other guys as well? Yeah, you know, a guy I mentioned there, maybe Pierce Quick. I've heard a lot of good things. Curious to see how he looks in the spring, that bulldog mentality. Big, strong kid that can move around a lot. You know, there's Alabama has those guys that – you know, to me, Pierce probably could play all five positions. Not saying he can play them equally well, but Pierce is a guy that can move around, and that's the kind of offensive lineman Alabama likes to sign. That Seth McLaughlin that they signed this year wasn't sexy, but he's in that same mold of a guy that could play center, probably projected guard, but could play at tackle in theory. So I think Pierce would, uh, Pierce would be in there. Mill would be in there, certainly. Evan's a talented guy, so I think he definitely can move outside. And, he, you know, he did some things this year. So I think there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys trying to prove themselves on that offensive line, and with the spot open, that that's going to be a great battle. 
yeah, there's only one spot really open, but the scenarios are so multiple. You know, if Evan Neal is the guy that goes to right tackle, then Pierce Quick, who you said it, it kind of reminds me of a Barrett Jones type guy in his versatility and his ability to play different spots. Um, he could be the, 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 the a factor in there, Emil Echior. Uh, but you've got guys like Landon Dickerson that have played all three spots along the offensive line between his time at Florida State and here at Alabama. Uh, you could move him around to either guard or tackle. That could open up something perhaps at center for a young guy like Darian Dahlcourt, who, whether it's 2020 or 2021, you get the sense, Tim, that Darian Dahlcourt is going to be a big part of this offensive line in the years to come. Yeah, you do. You know, and that's the thing I like is, you know, again, that's a good point. You have guys that can move. We can see a domino with Neil to tackle, um, landing to guard, and somebody else to center. They've got a lot of options they can play with at practice during spring and see which works out best. And they've done a really good job of doing that. Also, they got some quality depth back there. Uh, you know, guys that are competing, guys that are hungry, young guys, very competitive guys. So, it's going to be interesting to see who wins that battle. And also, it might not come, you know, it might not be done coming out of the spring either. I mean, you yeah. have some guys that might take a lead that's going to motivate a young guy like, you know, like Dalcourt, you know, motivate if he doesn't get it or quick who doesn't get it. It's going to motivate those guys. The best five. How many times have we heard Nick Saban talk about that? And that has typically taken uh, into fall camp to sort of sort all that out and, uh, I think the one thing you can count on is a number of different combinations throughout the spring and even perhaps into fall camp. And that's not to discount some guys like Tommy Brown uh, at offensive tackle. I, you know, th- Again, there are numerous scenarios in which things could play out with that offensive line uh, through 15 practices of spring. And then as you get into the early stages of August and fall camp. Now let's go to the other side of the ball, Tim. Uh, a group that needs to continue to grow with all the youth and inexperience we saw really at a couple of spots in that front seven. We'll start with the defensive line, Justin Aboigby, uh, Byron Young, DJ Dale coming off an injury riddled true freshman season. You got a new defensive line coach and Freddie Roach that's going to be working with those guys. Uh, you do have some experience, which is a good thing. LeBron Ray coming back hopeful that he can maintain uh, some semblance of good health for an extended stretch, something that's eluded him uh, in two of his three seasons in the program. You got a playmaker in Christian Barmore. Uh, But with all that said, competition should be very healthy at that spot and uh, an area where it'll be interesting to see what type of impact Roach makes uh, in his return to the capstone. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, we're so quick and we've seen so, so much success uh, with freshmen in college, I think everybody just assumes it's a given that they're going to come in and do some kind of dominating thing because they're highly ranked. But, you know, you and I both know there's a there's a certain amount of adjustment that goes and, you know, getting in shape and learning to, you know, go to school, you know, doing the whole nine yards. So there's a lot of guys that I think people aren't talking about nearly enough this year. I mean, I saw them referred to as guys that aren't panning out. They've been on, you know, some of these guys have been on campus less than a year I mean, it's pretty quick, you know. You know, a guy like Ishmael Sosfer who showed up, and we we lay we we threw down the rose petals so that everybody would know that guy's learning curve was going to be a little bit steeper because he enrolled so late. He didn't get there and he didn't get there in December like some of the other guys. He wasn't in the conditioning program and everything else. 
So he's having to sort of work his way into it. But there's guys on this team, like you said, Byron Young, guys that have to learn that were put in, you know, tough situations and and probably got some pretty daggone good lessons taught to them by other opponents this year, you know, craftier, older, stronger guys that they'll learn from it and go on and, you know, have a chance to get out there and play this year. But I definitely think the defensive line has a chance to improve. No doubt. And some of those tough lessons, as you just outlined, that some of these young guys endured in 2019, typically you come out on the other side of that better for it. And you certainly expect that to be the case with three of those guys who played a good bit of football in 2019. And you said it, a guy like Softshire, who when you look at Ismail Softshire, you see all the physical attributes needed to be sort of that dominating presence right on the point there at the nose tackle position. And the the hope being, again, for Freddie Roach primarily, I mean, production and overall play of the unit as a whole is, is obviously his responsibility. But when you talk about the, the, a large portion of this group, a lot of it is guys who have just been in the program for a year. And then you're going to bring in guys like Tim Smith, uh, you know, in the coming months to add to that group. So the future, I would say very bright, but it will be extremely interesting to see how that sort of rotation plays itself out with Ray and Barmore, Stefan Wynn also coming back. Numbers aren't a problem. What you're looking for is sort of four or five, six guys that sort of separate themselves. Yeah, step up. Somebody yeah, step uh, it's up time, and, right? Yeah, someone's got to become the leader of that wolf pack. You know, you need yeah. you know, you've always seen Alabama on that defensive line had one guy at least that was just the alpha male. Mm. And usually they've had two. You know, usually had some combination with uh Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Quentin Williams. You always saw some combination of them like that they need a couple of these guys because the talent's there the talent of jonathan allen is there uh the talent of deron Payne. i don't know but quinnon's a little special to me i love all three of them but quinnon really really was unbelievable his last year but i mean there's a lot of talent there for those guys you know and even christian barmore doing the small he does the big things fine find the quarterback hit the quarterback you know that kind of thing but he's got to do the small things that the coaching staff's expected of him uh, I, you know, to step up and be smarter, watch that film and understand everything more, because that could be an imposing defensive line. And the thing about the defensive line is that whole defense, it frees up linebackers to roam. And this year you're going to have some monsters. You're going to have Dylan Moses back, for instance. You're going to have an improved, experienced Christian Harris. You've got a bunch of freshmen that can come in and play. And it's going to help your secondary. You yeah, know, it's going you, to that secondary half the time. I mean, Richard Sherman didn't turn into a pro bowler again just because he, you know, he hit the weights hard and did a lot of jump roping in the offseason. They 49ers had four first round draft picks on the defensive line and they lived in the quarterback's jockstrap. So that helped Richard Sherman get better, who already had talent and made him look so much better. So that defensive line could really help this whole unit. Yeah, see, now I'm distracted since you mentioned four defensive linemen and a quarterback's jockstrap. I'm going to have to try when to I digest you, that here for a minute. But <laughs> When I see you that YouTube video, you're really going to be distracted. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm good, fam. I'm good, fam. Uh, uh, that's coming in. Like, hey, look at my family photos. Look at my family Stay out videos. the DMs with that. No DMs <laughs> on that, please. Thank you. No, but in all seriousness, you're right because you, – you, you had the sort of untenable situation in 2019 and not only having two true freshman inside linebackers, essentially from wire to wire last season, 
you had them working behind a true freshman nose tackle who wasn't healthy for most of the 2019 season. You, you, you do the math on that and tell me how that formulates to a winning plan. But when you talk about those linebackers, I think outside linebacker, man, this spring with those three five stars coming into the mix to go along with guys like King Wakuda, um, you know, Jerez Parks, uh, Christopher Allen, uh, Kevin Harris. Uh, that's going to be something to watch, man. You, you, you talk about Sal Sunseri, the best of Sal Sunseri, Sal's greatest hits, I think we might get this spring because watching him work his magic with what Alabama returns to that position and what it's adding uh, is going to be must-see TV, especially on A-Day. Yeah, you know, King's one I'm really interested in, you know, uh, you know about. He was sort of that raw guy. I, me, personally, I'm, I'm a, I believe in upside. And I know a lot of times these guys bite you in the butt. They don't develop or pan out. But I love a guy who's got a ton of upside, and he's an athlete. He's going to get to the quarterback, you know, quick twitch, what, you know, overused word now, but he is. He's a guy. You know, another one I'd like to see if he can stay healthy is a – Raylan Ingraham, I'd like to see him. You know, he's got the look. He's got the shape. He was injured through high school, mm-hmm. hasn't really got a clean slate. But that competition, you know, the one thing we talked about last year that I think hurt Alabama is there wasn't a lot of competition pushing for playing time. Who was pushing yeah. Trayvon Diggs? Who was pushing DJ Dale? Who was pushing Shane Lee? It's hard to get better when nobody's pushing you. You know what I mean? It's hard to get better when nobody's breathing down the throat or you're worried about losing reps, that should not be the case this year. It you know, should, and you're, you're right. And go ahead. It, it was kind of a double whammy because of injuries at some spots. You didn't have example setters on a daily basis like Dylan Moses and Josh McMillan at inside linebacker. And even to an extent on that defensive line. And you're right because you were pretty much in a position of having to play young guys to the extent Alabama was, they weren't being pushed on the backside either. So, you know, having the example setter up top, having the competition in the rear, uh, that leads to the ideal sort of developmental scenario. And it's one we're used to seeing at Alabama, Tim, but between the three and outs, between the injuries, uh, it was one of the rare instances in 2019 where that wasn't the case at UA. I think, you know, we kept saying all these years, you and I kept saying eventually all the all the, the guys going pro would catch up. I think this was the year it caught up on defense. Oh, I yeah. think this we kept we know, ne- you know, we're, we never saw it because we're like, oh, no, what are we going to do without the defensive line? And then Quinnen comes flying out of the gate, you know, maybe the best one Alabama's ever had. You kept having guys step up. You kept having guys just keep, you know, rolling them out of the locker room. I think this year with the injuries with the uh, you know the guys left on campus I just don't think there was enough I don't I just don't think there was enough to get a really strong defensive unit out of it so what are your expectations for guys like Will Anderson and uh, Drew Sanders and Chris Braswell when we head into spring practice at that outside linebacker position assuming that's where they line up I got you know I try to temper my enthusiasm for guys like that um just, just freshmen, I mean, but man, this is a pretty special group, you know. And um, when I look at Will Anderson, and not only that, it's not just the film; it's the stuff that they were, you know. I've been told off, off the record or off the field about their work ethic and how hard, you know, they, you know, they, these guys only care about playing and winning. 
Um, I expect them to play. I mean, these are guys, the one thing, I, you know, I go back to the defense. It just seemed like Alabama at times was playing, you know, five Mississippi rush and almost a form of seven on seven. I think the defensive line had like six sacks. So there wasn't even a lot of pressure for the most part. I think these guys are going to play because they that's the main thing every one of these guys can do is get to the quarterback. And you know as well as me, it's not just, you know, sacking the quarterback. It's letting him know you're coming. Yep. Let him know that pressure's there. He can't roll out and sit there comfortably knowing there's nothing on my backside. You hit his butt once in the first quarter, he's going to remember that. He's going to be looking around. We saw that in the Super Bowl. Pat Mahomes looked shell-shocked, you know, for two and a half quarters. He just – he was feeling – he was hearing footsteps that weren't there sometimes, you know, even though a lot of times they were there. So um, I think they're going to play. I think all It's consistency, man. It's consistency in being in the neighborhood of the quarterback. Like you said, it's not even so much that you have to hit the quarterback on a consistent basis or sack the quarterback with regularity to affect him. It's just being in that proximity down in and down out. And I agree. I think even if it's from a situational standpoint, more than anything, especially early on in their careers, uh, it, it's hard to envision uh, this type of talent not being involved pretty quickly. And I, I'll say this too, similar to the offensive tackle position that we talked about earlier, there is a chance for guys like Kevin Harris to develop. You know, Kevin Harris was a guy who came on campus a year ago, obviously in need of bulk and strength. With that, he redshirted in 2019. We have to be careful, as we both know, from doing this for so many years, not to overlook guys that need that year to sort of get up to speed physically or in some other man ways. Uh, and so a guy like Kevin Harris uh, could be one of those uh, candidates at outside linebacker that we see this spring too. Now, inside linebacker, you got a couple of guys coming off ACLs. And so while there's a lot of excitement, justifiably so, with Dylan Moses coming back, with Josh McMillan coming back, I still think we're going to see a lot of Shane Lee and Christian Harris. I don't think these guys are just going to sort of uh, go into a storage closet for a year, you know, and I think Christian Harris specifically uh, of those two is going to be exceptionally difficult to keep off the field, regardless of the availability of Dylan Moses and Josh McMillan. Now, absolutely. If Dylan Moses is good to go with that knee, he's, he's going to be the every down guy at Mike linebacker, but with Christian Harris, Tim, do you see him taking another step and becoming sort of that that co-pilot, perhaps, to go along with Dylan Moses? Yeah, I really thought Christian was probably thrown in the worst situation of anybody. I mean, a guy that wasn't a linebacker in high school, played different positions. He shows up. Next thing you know, he's starting. You know, you know, we discussed how you know offensive coordinators were trying to uh, to us, uh, you know, highlight him and Shane Lee and get him out there with their inexperience. I thought he, you know, by the end of the year, I thought he was really good in the Michigan game. Uh, I thought he made a lot of lot of improvements, and he's we know he's that kind of athlete that he can yeah. do that. So I think there are definitely huge steps there. And Shane Lee got a lot of learning experience. He's going to be limited physically. You know, I think he's going to be limited physically. He, he's not a four five four six guy <clears throat> who's going to get out there and cover a running back. But I bet he's in better shape, and I bet he's in more experience because he's seen these plays now, and he'll know what he's doing. Because you can tell a guy, hey, when they do this, this is going to happen. You can tell them. But human nature is you've got to see it to believe it. So Christian, I think, has a huge upside. I still think Shane's going to be a guy that that 
that has impact on the field as well. Yeah, the, on on multiple levels at multiple positions, the the uh, the availability of some guys, you know, coming off ACLs like Moses, like like Josh McMillan, um, you know, w- what exactly are they able to do or cleared to do in the spring? Trey Sanders is going to be one of those guys to watch uh, at running back. Uh, typically Alabama pretty cautious in those scenarios as, as you would expect with those kind of injuries. Uh, but that'll be one of the major storylines early on in spring football, exactly how much are these guys able to do? And certainly, uh, at inside linebacker, that will be the case as much or more so than any other spot on this Alabama football team. Now the secondary, Tim, you lose Trayvon Diggs back there. You lose Shaheem Carter back there. You lose Xavier McKinney at the safety position. So really, when you talk about corner, when you talk about sub packages, the star position, you talk about safety. Jared Maiden also moving on uh, with Xavier McKinney. A lot to figure out on the back end of that defense. Yeah, that's that's a situation. You know, Scooby Carter has certainly had his maturity issue so far, but from a talent standpoint. If he can put his head on straight, if he if he can stay and focus and, and focus on what he does best football, I think he could be a big impact guy for Alabama. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about him, even when he was you know in and out of the portal. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A lot, you know, we're seeing a lot of those these days in Alabama. Tried to limit them with the 2020 step, uh, 2020 class. I know the the family, Scooby Carter's family, was behind him staying at Alabama. So maybe he worked at, you know, and a lot of times when you come through 12 years of football and you, you've been not only a starter but a star, when you get to campus and you're not the star, when you're not playing, it's hard for some of these guys. Alvin Kamara went through it at Alabama and he was injured. <clears throat> you know, he was injured and just, you know, just couldn't handle not playing ended up transferring. So I think there's adjustment. Hopefully now he's going into this spring and he's got a chance to prove himself, get on the field, earn playing time, obviously inexperienced, but he's a gifted guy. I think he could, but a ton of questions. Jordan battles, a guy I really like, he got extensive playing time last year at the end. Good athlete. Again, it's got to figure that out to me. Losing X was Xavier was the biggest loss. I just thought his maturity, you know, first of all, he's the best player in the secondary maybe on the defense, in fact. And um, second of all, he was such a mature guy. I sort of kept him in row. I think someone's got to step in and fill that role. They do, and you're right. I, I think at the corner positions, Patrick Sertan the second. he's been a two-year starter, but we're still kind of waiting to see the Sertan that came to Alabama with the five-star status. Not that he's been a disappointment, because he's walked in there and been a fixture at corner. But I think Alabama fans were thinking more along the lines of what we saw from Derek Stingley Jr. last year for LSU, 
Um, this is an opportunity in a contract year coming up for Patrick Sertan the second. Let's call it for what it is, an opportunity as a, as a junior to perhaps make that jump to the National Football League. Uh, he's got a little something extra in the pot coming up this year, too. Not that there's any question about his status as a starter, but again, in terms of his big picture goals, I'm sure this is a, a huge year for him. Josh Job, you know, there's a mix right here of veterans like Sertan, Job, um, Daniel Wright at the safety position. You said it. Jordan Battle in his second year looks to be a, a, a big player at the safety position, but you've got Daniel Wright trying to. Uh, make his mark as, as he gets deeper into his Alabama career. You got a guy like DeMarco Hellams uh, going into his second year, um, uh, Tim, yeah, that, that, that has a lot to prove. Yeah, and don't forget about Brian Branch. Athletically, sure. <clears throat> you know, field for the ball, Brian's going to have a chance too, I agree. You know, in secondary, Ronald Williams is the guy, if he can come in, Juco signing Alabama had, if he can come in, lock down the other corner, it's going to open up the world, you know, for Pete Golding and and Carl Scott and Nick Saban. I think just having those two those two corners for me, Pat was better as a freshman than a sophomore. Um, I think that's kind of normal, you know what I mean? I didn't think Pat got challenged very often this year. I thought that they went in a different direction than him. I thought he played fine, but I will. I'm expecting him to play like a first round draft pick this year. This is a kid raised by an NFL father and, and, and understands the game. He understands what's at stake and is extremely talented guy. So maybe a little bit of a sophomore slump. Part of that could have been just wasn't targeted as much. I just don't think he was targeted nearly as much um, uh, as he was as a freshman. And that's why we saw him make more plays. You know, when I, <clears throat> I cover recruiting and there's a guy that will have 11 interceptions and, you know, 13 pass breakups as a junior. And the next year he'll have two interceptions and three pass breakups. That's not because he stunk. It's because they quit throwing at him. So this year I'm curious to see if he doesn't step up. But he's a first-round talent in my opinion. I think this will be the year he steps up. And to have Ronald Williams to come in, needs to lock up that spot, that would be huge just to solidify that secondary. And then they can work, work worry about the back end. Yeah, I think safety may be as big a concern, if not more, than corner with the intangibles that you talked about with Xavier McKinney going out the door. Uh, you're going to be looking at some youth to sort of take over that leadership perspective back there and making calls and sort of running the show. Jordan Battle, obviously a guy that the staff put a lot of trust in very early on in his career as a situational performer in the dime package. Uh, but competition at corner will be immense other than Sertan, Josh Job, Ronald Williams coming in and sort of how that plays out also yeah, will speak to the flexibility that you have with Sertan, because I think this staff, as we saw last year, would like to play Pat inside at star in the nickel and dime if it could. But it, it hasn't been afforded the opportunity to do so because it's kind of been waiting on guys like Josh Job to take another step. Basically, this, you know, the secondary is very, very similar to the defensive line. When you look, you can look at the name. It's, it's not for lack of names or bodies or talent. I mean, you got we haven't even talked about Brandon Turnage, you know, who's, you know, really good athlete, yeah. a guy to step up. But guys, like we said, Scooby Carter, Hillams, you know, and Brian Marcus Branch, Banks. Marcus yeah. Banks, so many guys like that that have talent. We know they've got talent. And Jalen Armour Davis. Oh, man. You know? See, there's so many. It's not going to be lack of bodies. Now, I will tell you what both the defensive line 
and the secondary, really the whole defense. It's going to be young. I don't think there's much way around it. It's going to be a pretty young guys competing for these spots. So someone's got to be that alpha male. And with the history of Alabama, there's usually been somebody to step up and take that role. And we've seen them ride it on to an NFL career or a great college career. So someone's going to have to step up. Yeah, and speaking of multiple roles, we saw that in the specialist department in 2019. Will Reichard with the hip injury in September reaggravated a month later. He was limited to just a handful of games as in his true freshman season, handling both some kicking and some punting. You saw Ty Pirine, a, uh, a walk-on sort of emerge there as the punter. Joseph Bulovis back in there with Reichard out as your primary place kicker. So Will Reichard's progress in coming back from that hip injury will certainly be under the microscope in March and April. And it'll also beg the question of, even once he's healthy, exactly how much of the workload do you want to put on him with the injury that he sustained a year ago? Because he's capable of handling punting and place kicking together. Uh, but Nick Saban is on record more than once is being somewhat cautious in putting too much of that on Will Reichard. And, uh, you know, that's something else Alabama is going to have to try to sort out here in the in the coming months as well. And uh, it seems to be the the sort of annual question when we talk about Alabama right. football is uh, how's it going to shake out with with the, the situation kicking the football? Dude, that's the for every speech I give. That is the first <laughs> and usually the last question. I mean, I tell them the truth. I'm like, I don't know anything about punters and kickers, although I think, you know, sometimes I think I've got it. Uh, mm. I really don't. I mean, you look at the NFL, it is peppered with guys that I have to Google where the college is, you know. Sure. Um, and then, uh, you know, like the guy LSU got two years ago, the kid that couldn't miss. I mean, that guy came from a small school I'd never, re- never really even heard of. So I don't know how kickers work. They befuddle me. <laughs> they befuddle Tim Watts. I don't know. Hey, um, yeah. Yeah, so I think we pretty much covered, at least on the surface, some of these uh, upcoming position competitions that we're sort of looking forward to. Again, we'll get more into the nuts and bolts of them on an individual basis as we get closer to the start of spring practice. It is T. Watts and T.R. on a Tuesday edition of the Built by Bama online podcast, February the 11th, two thousand. And 20, uh, it was a busy weekend, both in sports and entertainment, Tim. Uh, you had your Oscars on Sunday night. Uh, I can't sit here and give you a thorough breakdown of all the nominees and the different categories uh, of film and uh, how they're produced and soundtrack and original score and makeup and all those things. I think I saw three of them, Tim. We might have seen the same three that were prominently mentioned among the Oscar nominees. The Irishman, what were the three? The Irishman was one. Joker. Joker. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Were those the three that you saw? Yeah, it's funny. You said you mentioned two, and I'm like, which two? And then I said, what about this one? You're like, yeah, I saw it. (laughs) Something made me new. Something made me know you did that. Here's what I, when when I looked that up last night, here's what I figured out. Because I looked at 2019 list. I watch all the Oscar movies, but I usually watch them a year behind. Like, I saw all of 2019. I watched four of them on a flight home from Italy, in fact. So, I, <laughs> all these movies I'll be able to discuss next year. But right now, I've only, you know, I've only seen, I've only seen two and a half. I, 
I was sitting here when you mentioned the Irishman, and I was like, how did that end? And I went back and I had an hour left. Um, I had an hour left on it. I haven't actually seen the end. And I started it when it was a boring, slow recruiting weekend. And then things picked back up, and I never got back to it. But, yeah, Joker, uh, I don't know. I got a mix. But I didn't find that like a – I thought it was probably a good movie. I'll never see it again. I thought it was more about mental health than like – you know, it wasn't a comic – book movie you know i couldn't take my kids to see that i just it was a great performance you know i guess that comes in with that cliche it is what it is it was a great performance um from joaquin phoenix now was that uh, of the of the three that we're we're talking about the three flicks was that the best performance by an actor that you saw in those three movies you know I'm a Pitt guy. I've always been a Brad yeah. Pitt guy. Even when people were hating on him because he was beautiful, um, <laughs> I'm a Pitt guy. And I think he's a great actor. I mean, I think he's did so. I mean, if you, you know, he's avoided that. You know, Tom Cruise is a good actor. And, you know, you know, God bless him for finding what works for him. But Tom Cruise is basically the same dude in every damn movie. He's flying a jet. He's playing pool, race he's cars. riding race car. He's the yeah. same guy in all of his popular movies. Hey, and that's those are awesome movies. I love them. I watch them. But Brad Pitt to me, I mean, if you've seen any, you know, a lot of his old movies, California is a serial killer movie that barely, barely even, you know, many people River runs through it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that's just Great you know, flick. that's just that that's one of my favorite lines in the movie when his dad asked when he asked about he asked the son about him dying and this is spoiler alert if y'all haven't seen it that's on y'all but. He uh he asked him anything else you can tell me about his death and he said yeah all the bones in his right hand were broken Jeez. and the dad just smiled and walked off he knew he went down swinging so very you know very <laughs> go back to Thelma and Louise with Brad yeah, Pitt that was kind of his debut he, wasn't it he, yeah so to me Brad Pitt had a had a great role I mean Joaquin Phoenix put the most into his role I'll give him that much and that probably was the hardest of the roles I mean De Niro was just playing. You know, everybody else was sort of playing who they are. Right. Uh, I thought Joaquin Fimmick. I don't know many people that could have went all in on that Phoenix role. You know, I liked Leonardo DiCaprio once upon a time as Rick Dalton. I thought that was fantastic. I thought the scene that they shot as him as Rick Dalton playing another character in the uh, the fictional episode of Lancer where he's with the little girl on his lap and, you know, kind of basically holding her hostage. And then you got Luke Perry just before his death in that scene. I thought that was the best bit of acting I saw in those three movies. I enjoyed them all. I mean, we're both huge De Niro, Pecci, Scorsese fans. So that's a default for it. That's, that's easy for us to like. Um, I like Tarantino too. I don't like everything Tarantino's done, but I like him a lot. I, I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was was well done. Um, so probably DiCaprio for me. Of those three movies, I'd probably go Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with The Irishman and then The Joker. But I enjoyed all three of them. Good flicks. I, t- I tell you, the uh, the scene with Bruce Dern where he was in the bed and you awesome. thought he was dead. That was awesome. <laughs> That was such a good role. From Dern was fantastic. And, Brad- and they say Bruce Dern, if you work with him. He improvs everything, I so can, you can you can give I, him a script there, and it's like he's just gonna do what he does. You know what I'm saying? Which makes what it is, even more fantastic. What is the boxing movie? I love that movie with him and James Wood. Have you seen that where they're betting? 
I'm not sure if I've seen that one or not. Bruce Dern has been in everything. Digstown. He's in a movie called Digstown you need to check out. And he is classic, cocky, arrogant. I mean, he he is a character in it, but... Yeah, I thought all the movies were good. I mean, the once upon a time in Hollywood, I've read a lot on those Tate murders and the Manson family, um, just out of curiosity. And uh, it uh, so it's sort of weird seeing that play on what if could have happened. I know that bothered a lot of people, but if you haven't read a lot, you're a younger crowd. If you don't know much about it, that probably was a great movie. There you go. So there's your Oscar review from T. Watson T.R. on this Tuesday. Um, what about Uncut Gems not getting any sort of love from the Academy there? I haven't seen it. Yeah, I yeah. saw it. I thought it was good. I didn't think – I probably didn't think it was as good as a lot of people did. I appreciate, you know, sort of the stretch it was for Adam Sandler, um, a departure from what we're typically used to seeing from Adam Sandler uh, I, I thought it was okay. I thought it was sort of a, I don't know, a poor man's attempt at something Martin Scorsese would do. Is what it, it felt like a poor man Scorsese flick to me. I, I, you know, I would encourage you to see it. Um, I will next year. It, <laughs> ask me about flight. Ask yeah. me about next February. I'll be like, yeah, it's a great it, movie. It's a it's a solid flick. You know, Kevin Garnett's in it, legitimately acting, although he's playing himself. So I guess that's not much of a reach. You know, the thing with me is I've always got conflicted emotions. Like you always see our funniest guys, Eddie Murphy, Tom Hanks, Adam Sadler, Jim Carrey. I don't want them to be smooth. I got smooth. I got Brad Pitt. I got Denzel Washington. I got the cool guy, you know. Yeah, he's when not they go, smooth in this. He's okay. frantic, and he's I don't, uh, yeah. He, I like him. I like him at borderline. You know, can't yeah. his shoestrings. That's when he's he, the best. Is best for me. He, he's he's unraveling in this, but it's much more of a serious tone to it than say mm-hmm. he's unraveling is uh, you know. The water boy or something it's uh it's happy, it's, Gilmore, it's, happy Gilmore exactly it's yeah. a different unraveling altogether of an individual but yeah I think I think you'd enjoy it it was solid I thought it was solid but if you're gonna ask me if I would put it up there with the three movies we have been talking about no I'm not I'm not putting uncut gems up there hey okay. uh go ahead no I was gonna say I'll tell you you know when you look at Adam Sandler's body of work this Crazy. dude looks like, you know, 1940s Warner Brother employee. He's, <laughs> you know, you look back, you're like, these guys back then, they used to do a movie and they rent them out to do another movie. They have 150 movie credits in eight years. Adam Sandler's about the closest you're going to find to that, where they're doing all these movies in a short span. This dude has done a lot between writing and directing Prolific. and acting. Absolutely. This guy's been a busy guy. Yeah, he has. If you had to pick one Adam Sandler movie tim what would be the uh what would be the one you'd go with a lot of them have basically been the same movie but if, if you yeah, picked one what would I you really go with like you know i'd probably go 50 first dates the wedding singer i think yeah. if i've got company if it's just me and I've, everybody's gone to the beach and it's me i am rolling down the Happy Gilmore, Waterboy, Billy Madison. Anger management was <laughs> that's a solid. great that's a great good call. That's a great one. Excellent call. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm still mad at Adam Sandler for doing the remake of The Longest Yard. That's and, one of those kind of like the Bad News Bears that didn't need to be God, touched, God. you know? Yes. From the yeah. 70s. I, I'm still, yeah. I still have some anger directed at Adam. Those McDonald commercials, and they, they had so much talent in there. They had the big dude that's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and, and all that. They had so much talent in there, and they got Nelly running around, you know, tall sweeping within his bare feet. I don't care how fast you are. You better get some shoes on. We had McDonald's commercials, and that was a classic. Burt Reynolds in The Longest Shard, who was a real oh, you know, athlete, that is a classic movie, and it had everything. I mean, it had ups and downs. It wasn't all a happy ending. I mean, no. it, I mean it's it was an incredible movie. And to throw that, that, you know, that whimsical way they did it, that was, yeah. yeah. He didn't, he didn't, it, it, they trivialized a, a great flick, and look, you don't – Adam Sandler ain't Burt Reynolds, okay, when we're talking about the OGs of uh, Max. So, yeah, I mean, Adam Sandler Ben Stiller kind of became the same guy, didn't they? Or are they different? Um, <clears throat> Ben Stiller – I don't know. Ben Stiller, man, that guy will make fun of himself. You know, he's uh, – he's, he'll yeah. push that – that, that Tropical Thunder movie, there's two movies I'm surprised I can still <laughs> – Still fine. Tropical Thunder. There's no made. way Tropical Thunder gets made today. There's and no bl- way. I don't, that in Blazing Saddles. I tell my, I mean, I don't know anybody, oh, yeah. nobody no. who no doesn't way. love. I mean, lo- not like or say no nobody way it gets says, made today. They love it. But I'm still, I'm surprised they're not pulling it off the deck on shelves like they're doing Tom Sawyer. You know, they. Oh, yeah. uh, it's so over the top. I think that's is what survives it, but. Yeah, Ben Stiller put himself out there. He's constantly making fun of himself, which is awesome. Um, I mean, everything about Barry was awesome, man. That's a movie that whenever it comes on, I'm watching something about Mary. There's some part having I mean, Matt Dillon. <laughs> That's another one. That's another one that Matt couldn't Dillon. get made today. Oh my gosh! Heck, no, they couldn't do. They couldn't do a couple Matt of Dillon's characters in sensitive insensitivity oh, in that movie. Oh, no way. Shit. We tied him between a tree, put a rope, we let him run oh, around. Geez. I mean, that guy. Uh, that spikes stuff. the ball on the kid playing pickup yeah. football with him. I mean, trash talking. I mean, it's yeah. a. There's yeah. no way you can make that flip. I would say Ben Stiller's more diverse. Adam Sandler's really good at being cheeky. And Ben Stiller, like his guy, was his name? White in a dodgeball. Oh, yeah. Dodgeball's <laughs> that, great. Hey, that's when you just have no, sh- no shame at all of being made fun of. You are just. <laughs> roasting yourself as that character every single thing about it so uh i got i've got a fondness for ben stiller as well so there you go there's your pop culture segment of t watts and tr on this tuesday edition half, of the our, listeners, half our listeners will be googling we'll get back to sports here googling. uh mostly in large part due to this weather we're enduring here in the state of alabama right now which also brings about the question of the start of another baseball season, not the arrival, the impending arrival of pitchers and catchers reporting to Major League Baseball spring training camps, but real live baseball games that count, Tim, on the college front this weekend here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama opens its 2020 campaign with Northeastern, which thought Northeastern thought it was escaping bad weather up in the Northeast to come down to the South. And I guess it'll be that way perhaps by the time we get to the weekend, but college baseball, Tim starts too early. You think, and what about you got high school baseball starting with yours, right? 
Yeah, we're, they've been practicing. They start Thursday. They play Thursday. They'll play Saturday. Um, the season will be full. Flip. Look, if there's a warning on the bat that says don't play in the weather you're playing in, it's probably too early. Um, I mean, it says, like, we won't cover this $450 bat if you break this thing in in, in weather below this. So, um, yeah, it's an issue. I don't I sort wow. of feel like baseball season is sort of like the uh, the uh, daylight savings time. I feel like they said it 100 years ago, and no one's really adjusting this thing to the way the schedule's changing. Because like you said, teams up north like, hey, we can't play, so we'll go down south. But we're going to see Major League Baseball's stadium snowing in April. You know, yeah. we're going to see all that snowing. So, I mean, I'm excited about baseball. I love baseball. I played baseball. But I'll tell you this, baseball in the cold, it's not like – football no imagine a basketball court outside freezing or a gym with the air freezing uh that's what you're dealing with baseball is meant to be played in warm weather i mean there's the, you well, know every- it, it, at least in hoops the game keeps moving for the most part you know what i'm saying in baseball you got all oh, that absolutely. time between pitches between hitters between innings it's the downtime that can kill you as a spectator for february baseball man no, I'd love to see somebody do that time lapse where they just go like you see for a football game. I watch a lot of the, the games where they've cut out everything but the plays. I'd like to see how long a baseball game plays. Three minutes, 12 seconds. I mean, how long is activity? <laughs> you no, know, it's... how long how long is a ball being hit and us having to do something? So I love baseball. I still love it. I love the chess aspect of it. I love it on the high school level. Um, you know, you know, my sons love it. So. I'm excited for it, but I can't even imagine, you know, you know, high school is one thing, but you got, you know, college coaches playing where they, like you said, these games count and they yeah. count on their schedule and that schedule is going to go a large part into what happens uh, to Alabama at the end of the year. You know, the, all these coaches at the end of the year, what people, when they give them their year in review, so to speak. So yeah. not an ideal situation, but it's that way for both teams and, um, you know, I'm like you. I think popcorn, cracker jacks, the whole nine yards, flip flop dogs, cargo yes. shorts, which I wear year round. But still, most people want to put on their shorts and their flip flops and watch a ball game. You don't want to be dressed up and worry about catching the flu. But I'm excited for baseball season. This Major League Baseball season, I'm really excited about that crazy Mookie Betts trade where it looks like the Red Sox are just giving up. You know, so the the Angels trade I was reading about that just got canceled. How about an owner canceling a trade because it's the another trade is taking too long. <laughs> he was tired of waiting. The, I mean, are the Red Sox going to turn into the Miami Marlins on us all of a sudden? You know, or the the Tampa Bay Devil Rays? I mean, I mean, this is a look- major market, traditionally powerful baseball franchise that looks to be selling off parts, Tim's. Dude, that's yeah. and I'll tell you what I've been that stadium the 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 Boston Red Sox fans um dude yeah. they are they are every bit the Alabama fans sure when we were in Boston we went up there we went to a game those guys like well you know the day of the game we're wearing Boston gear and we're walking down the street and people will stop it's a pretty rude city to be honest with you everybody says New York's rude Boston was by far <laughs> ruder what even like we were at a ice cream shop this is no lie. And the kids were saying thank you and please, normal stuff. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, when they got their cone. And a lady behind us from Wisconsin, she said, oh, my gosh, I haven't heard kids. We've lived here six years, and I don't think I've heard kids say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you, or or anything in six years. I was like, well, they're not from the South. 
You exactly. might be the worst, you might be the worst kid. You might be the worst kid in the neighborhood or at the school, but you're saying yes, ma'am, when you catch that suspension. You know, we 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 teach them we teach them that much. So, but those fans, man, they they were stopping and talking and high five, and they were excited about that team. So trading off Mookie Best. I mean, what is he? 26, 27, 28. He's not that old. It's not an old guy. Oh. I mean, prime of his career and got nothing for him. You know, didn't to me didn't seemingly get. I mean, it's hard to get equal value for a guy like that. That's basically they should have got the equivalent what the Pelicans got for Anthony Davis, which included draft picks and the number two overall pick Lorenzo Ball and the number two overall pick Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart. They got a ton for him. These guys got a minor league prospect. They they had to go back and relook at his arm, I believe, to make sure he's he's good. Yeah, amazing. Really he's is. Wild. I don't know what they're doing, but maybe they're sensing they're catching their baseball's former probation or something. But I, I was surprised by the trade on. You're right though. That fan base won't stand for that, man. Oh, they'll no. be they'll be brutal. Oh. If the Red Sox don't somehow figure out a way to still be competitive, especially with the Yankees in that division, and you get around to even just June, and that situation is not good. Fenway Park, uh, you'll have to put earmuffs on the kids because it <laughs> it won't earplugs. It won't be pretty. Uh, and I will, and I will say, if anybody ever gets the chance to go, that's yeah. definitely that was that was an unreal experience from the, you know, the Sweet Caroline and the you know the eighth inning and then the you know the seventh. This though, sure. just the feel of that place. And we toured the stadium, um, which also I'd recommend. It's like forty bucks. It's nothing. We toured it. It was it was unbelievable to see everything there and it's really you know there's just not many places left i mean yankee stadium we went there wrigley. the next year yeah to wrigley, wrigley, too. wrigley wrigley is fan yeah wrigley is fantastic i hear i haven't been to la but i'd like to see it but that seems to be the last it's probably the last three great stadiums right la dodgers Chicago dodger stadium dodgers, wrigley fenway i'll say this camden yards is awesome in baltimore it's it's oh my god it's the oldest of the newer stadiums really oh. Gosh, it's, but it, it's still I, I like Camden Yards as much as any ballpark. I've been to Wrigley, been to Fenway, been to Dodger Stadium. I've been to old Yankee Stadium, new Yankee Stadium. I, I if if you told me I could go to a ball game in one park um, tomorrow night or when the season starts, uh, I would probably pick Camden Yards. It would certainly be in the top two or three with Wrigley for me. I, I'll tell you this. I'm 100 percent with you <clears throat> on our Boston trip. We drove and. uh we actually stopped in Baltimore for a couple of nights and we went to a Orioles game and the price of the, it was absurd. The difference because we sat eight rows back right along third base and watched Adrian Beltre play third and Manny Machado play third. The tickets were $38 each. Yep. We had the most unbelievable food there. They had barbecue. They had that, uh, that right field area out there they, by the warehouse. Yeah, absolutely. Unbelievable. Absolutely. They had, was it uh, crab? They had crab tacos, oh, yeah. nachos. It was all the food was great. The ticket prices are great. The seats were great. Now, I'm, I'm, great. yes, it is the difference between it and Boston. There's a huge contrast, but it was great. It wasn't crowded. The fans that were there, obviously, loyal right. fans. They're Baltimore, locals. Baltimore doesn't have the same success. We walked over to the game, but you know, for your money's worth <clears throat> and food-wise, that place is great. Now, I love the new Yankee Stadium. You did. It, 
Uh, I, I wasn't as big a fan of it as the old stadium, but that's where the I nostalgia never saw the comes old in. stadium. That might be my it, it wasn't it look it wasn't nearly as nice. I, I'm sure again it's a nostalgia thing. It's what we grow up with, and those I, I the intimacy compared to the old ballpark because it's so vast and so pimped out with all the amenities, which I get. You're talking revenue streams here. Um, I, I liked yeah, I liked the new Yankee Stadium, but compared, but let's say compared to Camden Yards, what did you think of those two in comparison uh, to each other? Camden for sure. I mean, the thing yeah. about the Yankee Stadium is the Yankee fans are Yankee fans. I mean, they're in the game. Baltimore fans are sort of beaten down, you know, over years. It's been a while since they've been any good, and then they, you know, they trade their their best players. It seems. Um. From an atmosphere standpoint, I liked Yankee Stadium, but I agree. I mean, it was sort of like being at a really nice mall. And part of the reason I love Yankee Stadium, I'm a simple guy. The food there, I had every option. I had right. every, I had every option. You know, I breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, snacks. You know, I, I was, you know, it, it was, it was fantastic. The view was fantastic. It was way overpriced. Um, so for a new stadium. I, I like, not, you know, I like the new Brave Stadium as well. I wouldn't compare it to the older it's ones, nice. but it's nice. You Waffle House. You get Waffle House at the Absolutely. new Brave Stadium. See, that's absolute. I'm big on the, what have you got to serve me? You know, I'm big on the, what's in the concession stand. And uh, I think that, you know, they all, you know, they all did a good job there. But Wrigley, you know, you can't beat Wrigley. I mean, Wrigley's really simple. I mean, you're getting a, you're getting some mm-hmm. kind of piece of meat between a hot dog bun or some nachos. My son, my oldest son, Caught a foul ball at Wrigley. It was one nice. of the. It was one of the cool. Oh yeah, it was. It, it we were behind home plate, and I was holding. Uh-huh. Of course, I'm holding a big ass plastic hat full of ice cream because I'd taken it from my <laughs> youngest son, like pulling the. Oh, let me let me taste that to you make gotta sure. Got to do the hard helmet of ice cream. Well, yeah. it's big enough. I've got to hold both ha- hands. Well, this foul ball hits off the 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 what's it called the fronting. Where the broadcasters are, that oh yeah, the facade up there. The facade, yeah. it hits off of that and it shoots straight down. And my wife covers Ella, my youngest daughter, and I cover Gray. And all I can do is like hover over him and get prepared. And it's about to hit me right in the back of the neck. I mean, it is right on it because when Bryson caught it, I felt where his hands went. He caught it two hands, just nice. caught the foul ball was moving. And I remember looking at him going, man, how the heck do you make a error with a glove like i was so perturbed like yeah i'm screaming at you to get your glove down a million times you're gonna catch this thing he said well i wanted the ball and i said all right then but what was great about chicago is i bet there was 40 people coming over to high five him or touch the ball or rub his hair sure. or tell him great job those fans you know again those old fan bases with the exception of philly <laughs> are very supportive welcoming very yeah Philly's yeah. rough. I just watched that all or nothing on the Eagles, and man, those don't guys play. don't boot, they don't wait till the fourth quarter to they boo Santa you. Claus, man. Ten, they boo Santa Claus and ten to nothing, ten to nothing, and man, they are like they are living. First quarter ten to nothing, they ain't come there for that. So. Couple of ways to do Wrigley. One is with kids, and if you have kids, you don't need to be in the outfield bleachers. I found that out the hard time, hard way when our two oldest were probably say ten and eight. I sat out in the outfield bleachers with the wife uh, and the uh-huh. two kids when they were and, and that's a uh, that's party central now when it's just you and the wife or you and the and the guys the bleachers are outstanding 
but yeah, there's there's a different way to sort of do all these ballparks. I'm with you on Camden Yards. I actually love that locals feel because when I go to a Braves game, it's sort of a melting pot of people from all over the southeast, especially in the summer months. Even at Wrigley Field, because it is such a museum type feel to it, people come from everywhere to go to a Cubs game. Yankee Stadium similar that way. Fenway has become that way. I, I think that's what it is. I like as much as anything about Camden Yards, man. You go to a game in Baltimore on a Tuesday night, it's the hardcores that are there, and there you know, there may be 10,000 people in the stadium, and there's you. And so you get a real sense for what that team means to that city. Uh, and, and, and boy, they're going through some uh, – they're going through some rough times. Hey, Tim. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Nigel said, go ahead. We're going to shift to the uh, round table as we get out of here on a Tuesday edition of T Watts and TR on the Built by Bama online podcast. If you haven't already, we'd appreciate you subscribing to the Built by Bama online podcast. Maybe leave a rating while you're there and a review. It would certainly help us from the old traffic perspective let's head into that uh mailbag and your boy jam bama that's your boy by the way y'all are boys uh there on the round table at bamaonline.com jam bama asks are you excited for the return of brooklyn 99 also did you see the the new archer is going back to his spy roots lastly Thoughts on the pharmacist on Netflix. I have no thoughts on any of those, Tim. So have at it. I love. Yeah, I'm super excited about Brooklyn Nine Nine. That's a show. If you ever like this summer, if you got some downtime, is Terry you Crews is Terry Crews on that show? He is. is that, okay. I tell you, and it's the uh, uh, Adam Sandberg. Is that his name? The guy yes. from Night Live. He's the Lazy, he's the Lazy Sunday. Yeah, he's yeah. the uh, he's the main character. But I'm telling you, the supporting cast on this. Man, it's unbelievable. You would die laughing. Your wife would love it. It's got a lot of a lot of strong female characters in it. They're all hilarious. Even the villains are fantastic that come in. Um, this is definitely binge-worthy for you and the wife. I uh, love it. I mean, it got dropped by one network, picked up by another network. The family loves it. It's just easy. You know, you follow along. You know, there's not like an ongoing deep storyline. It's never... Never too serious. So if you're looking for something like that, I think it's on Hulu, perhaps. Archer, I haven't seen. It's hard for me to watch those animated shows. I tried BoJack Horseman or whatever. I mean, it's all right. I can't, I can't, I don't get great into it. And the pharmacist, I'm starting hopefully this weekend. If Jam Bama doesn't ask me 55 questions Friday and Saturday night, I will have time to watch it. But I've heard it's something to watch. So um, I'm finished, just finished the show called the messiah that was pretty good on Netflix. there you go boo boo a u in the mailbag ask or has the uh sort of scenario for us fill in the blank it is important for alabama to achieve blank during spring practice i'll go ahead and get us going on that one i'll go with health just how about getting dylan moses back to full health and josh mcmillan back to full health uh, and LeBron Ray back to full health. I'll I'll go health uh, in that blank for Alabama during spring practice. What about you, Tim? Yeah, I agree with that. Certainly, I'll go with competition. I mean, we talked about that earlier go. in the show. They need to compete. Somebody needs to be scared. You don't want anybody at any level comfortable with their position. Almost, you can look at it like tennis. Like the worst position in tennis to be at 
is number one. I think that's that's you because of two, three, four, five, and six are breathing down your neck. I think that's how Alabama's got to feel. Number one's got to be worried that you know that's you know somebody's breathing down his neck. You know somebody's coming to get him and pushing for playing time. And there's a lot of alpha males. Somebody should be. There's so much talent. There should be guys pissed they're not starters. So when they're not named, that's what I'm looking to see. Who's going to step up? Who's going to just take that position because it's open? There you go. Um, Saban 18 coming in hot. No surprise there, right, when it comes to no. Saban 18. Boy, Why has <laughs> stays heated. Why has Alabama settled for having a good, decent defensive coordinator when it could pursue a much better coordinator who would like to be here, in parentheses, Saban 18 has specifically Derek Ansley. What do you got there, Tim, for old Saban 18? So here's a couple of things. I think Alabama fans are scared to address what they're saying. Pete is Nick Saban's choice. This is his choice. They're acting like Pete just came in took an office, sat down, and took over the coordinator position. So the, the Nick Saban is the boss. This is his choice. That's who he wants there. Trust Nick Saban that he sees something or he knows what he's doing or you don't. And if you don't, that's a situation you should be asking, why does Alabama settle for a mediocre head coach instead of go getting a really good one like Derek Ansley? If you're going to ask those questions, why it's just Pete, it's never Nick Saban hired him. You know what I mean? Nick Saban hired the guy. That's his choice. And there are a lot of coordinators out there. But let's, for, let's, let's remember one thing. Derek Ansley's a great coach, a young coach, but he's a first-year defensive coordinator. Why does everybody think that he could just come in and run this? I personally think he could, but he's got one year of proven under Jeremy Pruitt. And who that knows football thinks Jeremy Pruitt's not involved uh, with calling those plays at Tennessee. I mean, it's like Kirby at Georgia. It's like Nick Saban early in his career. He called more plays than Kirby did and other defensive coordinators. And, you know, Pruitt's definitely got his hand in there. So I don't think Pete's the question. You either think Nick Saban's doing the right things or you don't. Uh, everybody I've talked to as far as other coaches say the same thing about Pete. I've maintained this. He's a good coach. He's an honest guy. You know, he's good with the players. They all maintain that same thing. So I don't think the question is like, Pete, this is why Nick, why is Nick Saban chosen Pete? My guess is Nick Saban doesn't really fill me in on his thoughts, as I've noted for every year he's been here. But I mean, I think it's as simple as that's who he thinks could do the job. Yeah. And look, if you could guarantee me that Derek Ansley coming in would cure all the injury issues that this defense has had the last two years, you know, if Derek Ansley is like E.T. and has a magic finger that can heal all these these injuries that this team has had, um, I'm, I'd be down, no doubt about it. I, I don't think Derek has that, though, in his repertoire. And, look, I would be the first to tell you, with Pete Golding, I think it's largely incomplete right now, the grade. Uh, but I'm also inclined to give the guy the benefit of having, hopefully, a more healthy sort of collection of personnel at his disposal and experienced personnel at his disposal hopefully if if this is going to be the continued scenario moving forward uh that will be the case through spring practice and into the 2020 season uh dr back dr back on the round table asks, how do we see the inside linebacker and outside linebacker positions playing out in the spring and the fall we sort of touched on that earlier in the podcast 
Uh, we always appreciate the question, though. But again, the primary figures when you talk about inside linebacker, the returns of Dylan Moses and Josh McMillan from injuries and what their availability will be like in March and April. Uh, Shane Lee and Christian Harris with all the experience they accumulated as true freshmen in 2020, obviously going to be in that mix. You've got some newcomers, though, and Des Moines Kennedy and Jackson Bratton to factor into that. So the overall strength at inside linebacker, I got to think, Tim, is going to be uh, more along the lines of what we saw up until the 2018 or really the 2000, uh, yeah, 2018 season. Uh, than what we've seen the the last couple of years. Yeah, I just I agree. You know, I agree with you. I just think the talent. I think the 2018 class wasn't ideal. They've had some injuries. They've had some transfers. <clears throat> I feel like this is the first first time in you know in since 18 really, or at least the last couple of years that they've got like two deep talent to compete. I'm not saying they're ready to play, right. but I'm saying talent wise, there's two. When you look, you know, Nick Saban's always saying that you know line them up in a row and look to the left and look to the right it might be the first time in uh you've ever been in a room where you're not the best player to your left or your right that might not necessarily been the case last year you know some guys could have looked left and right and been like I'm good uh I think this year they're going to they're looking at some extremely talented I think it's a young base but I think it's a really really good uh talent base especially 2019 2020 class was was excellent yeah we we talked about outside linebacker in in the in sort of the common refrain today on the the podcast the word competition and you know what these guys that are on campus like Will Anderson, Chris Braswell, Drew Sanders are going to add to that mix of returning guys out there on the edge. So uh promising promising is how I see the inside linebacker and outside linebacker positions playing out although I think Alabama is going to miss a guy like Anthony Jennings greatly, not just in terms of his on-the-field production, but leadership and setting that standard on a daily basis, probably more so at outside linebacker than inside linebacker. That's going to be a bit of a concern when you get out there in March because you're not going to have that dude uh, at outside linebacker, whereas at inside linebacker, in some form or fashion, you expect to have Dylan Moses back um, in that mix. Finally, in the mailbag, Tim, Yupon asks, or tells us, or ask us, I think it's a combination of both. Please, please tell us you've heard good updates on Will Reichard's recovery. We hit on Will Reichard earlier in the podcast. You know, what we saw with Will Reichard towards the end of the season was a guy who appeared to be trending in the right direction. I think at some point there was concern that surgery might be a requirement to help him in recovering from that injury. Uh, that ended up not being the case from my understanding. He's been able to rehab and sort of slowly come back from this injury. We saw him again in the lead up to the Citrus Bowl went over Michigan, do a little bit more. So, you know, that's kind of where it was at at the end of the season. And we'll see exactly how much his workload is uh, when spring practice gets going in March. Anything else to add to that, Tim? Or are we good? No, I appreciate all those questions, guys. Y'all keep them coming. <clears throat> Y'all do a a uh, great job, and you know we'll be talking. <clears throat> this I'm losing my voice or something. They, uh, my allergies are acting up. But we appreciate all you guys, and 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 I'll be honest, I didn't know I was going to like doing this podcast. I love talking to Travis, so it should have been a no-brainer. I love talking sports and BS and with Travis. So this podcast has been really fun for me. I enjoy it. 
Yeah, it's been a blast, and we look forward to producing more of them, no doubt about it. And we certainly appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in here on the Built by Bama online podcast and, more than anything, being a part of what we do at BamaOnline.com, that premium message board, the roundtable, you certainly want to post up there on a regular basis. So with that, we'll get out of here. For Tim Watts, I'm Travis Ryder. Thanking you once again for joining us. Tune in again soon when T. Watts and T.R. return to the Built by Bama online podcast. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.